At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you turn to Peter, I just wanted to thank you for your continued support of our church ministry just as you give uh, to our weekly offerings. We're not taking it here in the building, but you can give in many ways online through the app. Uh, you can drop it in the lobby. So thank you, thank you for that. I also wanted to invite you to tune in tomorrow to our Facebook page at 6 p.m. We have a special edition of The Link, which is an interview that Pastor Chris and others of us did related to the topic of God and politics. Just as you said, your mind, your heart for this upcoming week. We also released four different blogs uh, on this topic that should be helpful to you. So again, that's tomorrow at 6 p.m. You can find it on the Woodside YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious King, yes, be our vision, be our delight. Calm our anxious hearts as Jesus calmed the storm with a word, with a word. So we come to your word and receive it with faith. We come to your table to take the Lord's Supper and receive the Lord Jesus with the mouth of faith. Make us strong today, Lord, in body and soul. Be merciful. Be merciful to our nation. And address us now, Lord, by the power of this, your holy word. In Christ's name that we pray, amen. First Peter chapter 2, we are in verse 13. The apostle writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The word of the Lord. The balance of power in heaven will not shift one iota to the right or to the left based on what happens on Tuesday, November 3rd. But what about in your heart? If your candidate wins, nothing has changed in the balance of power in heaven. If your candidate loses, nothing has changed in the balance of power in heaven. So let me bring you back to the slide that we started with six weeks ago. We've been talking about the nations and the kingdoms of the world and how they're doing one thing. They're advancing their own agenda while God's kingdom is advancing God's agenda, which is to fill the earth with the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. God is doing this through the king's death which is the death of Jesus Christ, because that's the power and wisdom of God's kingdom. And he's doing this through the king's word, which is the way that the king's power and wisdom are spread throughout the earth. We also talked about our dual citizenship and how we have one in heaven and one on earth, but only one of them is eternal, our citizenship in heaven. And so whatever is happening with the kingdoms of the world and most closely home for us, whatever is happening with America, our feelings about it, whether we are happy or sad or angry or scared, 
should be so dialed down because the kingdom of God in us is so dialed up that we are unshakable. You see, when people don't have the kingdom of God in them, all they're left with is the kingdoms of the world. And so their emotion about what's happening in the here and now is out of control. But if God's kingdom is in you, you're unshakable. This is what I've sought to do over the last six weeks because it's what Peter endeavored to do through this letter, to expand in our thinking and feeling and willing and doing and speaking the rule of God to such a degree that the, the winds of political change around us do not shake us. We are oaks, not twigs. That's what we've been talking about. Today, the sermon takes a turn in a different direction from previous weeks. See, in previous weeks, I've sought to create some space between your identity as a Christian and your identity as an American because for many of you, perhaps, those two things have been joined at the seam. And that's problematic, whether you stand to the right or to the left. And so we've talked about how the church is utterly political, but not because we identify or align ourselves with one political party, but rather because we answer to the king of the universe who has all authority in heaven and on earth and who promises to restore, to renew all of creation, the entire earth. And we've said that our membership in God's holy nation, which is comprised of God's people globally, means that we have more eternally in common with Christians in Liberia and South Korea than we do with Americans who do not know Jesus. So our membership in God's holy nation should temper our sense of patriotism. And we've also said, following Peter, that we are exiles, exiles in our own country. The values, the culture of our own country, of our own culture, should become increasingly and feel increasingly foreign to us as we grow to identify with Jesus and his people. And so, our enduring home and citizenship are in Christ. By and large, these are the things that we've been emphasizing, but today we're taking a turn. Today we're looking at the other citizenship, our provisional citizenship, perhaps for most of us in this room, our American citizenship. You see... In light of everything that we've been saying in the last six weeks about our true home, our, about our imperishable inheritance in the heavens, you might perhaps think that our American citizenship for that reason does not matter and you'd be wrong. This is one of the great amazing paradoxes of the Christian faith. There is no message or philosophy more radical than to say that we follow a man who walked the earth, who is also God, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and who's coming back to settle all accounts. And you would think that that kind of message would make us into anarchists, people bent on the destruction of human institutions and government because we bow to divine government. And yet, nothing could be farther from the truth. From its very inception, the Christian faith has taught that God's people are good citizens. God's people are good citizens. So let's reflect on this truth in three points. First, for God's sake, submit to your rulers. For God's sake, submit to your rulers. Look at verse 13. Take in carefully each one of these words from Peter. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake 
to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Let's remember who Peter is writing to. He's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and who, whom he calls exiles. And he calls them exiles either because the emperor Claudius, a number of years before, had expelled the Jews, including the Christians, out of Rome, or because, as we've been seeing in Peter, Christians do not snugly fit the majority culture. He's writing to these Christians, and he's writing within the Roman Empire, most likely under the rule of the emperor Nero. Now, Nero was known for his wanton violence and delirium. He was known to have set fire to his own city, Rome, and then later on blamed it on the Christians. And so he lined many of them on the streets, set them on fire as a punishment and a warning. Tradition tells us that both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul were executed under Nero in the mid-A.D. 60s. You see, Rome was a mixed bag. They imposed order wherever they went, which created the conditions for upward mobility, for greater trade. They built the most impressive, some of the most impressive roads in all of history, which opened up the way for more markets and more travel. It's one of the reasons that the gospel message was able to spread so uh, rapidly and freely. Uh, they, made, uh, they suppressed piracy and made sea travel much more safe. They also, during times of crisis and disaster in the provinces, Rome would come in and provide assistance through tax relief, building projects, water supply systems, and so forth. And so there are many ancient writers that eulogize Rome's ability to bring about this unprecedented prosperity, la Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And yet, at what price? At what price did this peace come? Rome was ruthless, mighty in war, submit or die. They levied taxes, they traded in slaves, they lined the roads with crosses so that would-be rebels would take notice that rebellion would not be tolerated but squashed. They put to an end a number of Jewish rebellions in the decades, centuries before Jesus, then they killed Jesus, then in the year AD 70 they destroyed the Jewish temple, they killed the apostles and thousands of Christians in the two centuries that followed. They believed that the Roman emperor was a son of God. So you and I have never been under the control or violence that Rome exer exerted. And it's within that political context that Peter writes to the Christians and says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. To the, to the emperor as supreme and to governors as those sent by him to punish wrongdoers and to praise those who do good. That is very challenging. And so let's learn some things from that text today. One of the things we can learn here is that governments have legitimate authority, although it's not ultimate authority. Peter tells us here, be subject to the, governor, to the emperor and his governors. For us, it would be be subject to the president and every branch of government. What's their role? Very simply, he says, it's to punish wrongdoers and to praise those who do good. Now, in the letter to the Romans, the apostle Paul talks about government as well in chapter 13. And he says that no authority um, comes except from God, and that governing authorities are God's servants for our good. Now, here's the thing. Both Paul and Peter are writing from within the Roman Empire. They've both seen and know the abuse of power. They've seen government punish those who do good and praise wrongdoers. 
And yet they also know that because of the depravity of humankind, apart from human government, we are left with anarchy and chaos. But because of the depravity of, depravity of the human heart, there are some governments that are more depraved than others. They're not all alike. And here's where our votes come in. Because you need to be informed by Scripture uh, to be able to make, to cast your vote in the way that you believe honors God in the best way and brings the most good to people. It does matter because not all governments are the same. And yet, they are a gift. Human government is a gift from God to us. You see, governments... Are or fall within what theologians call common grace. There is saving grace and there is common grace. Saving grace refers to the salvation that comes to those who believe in Jesus Christ and it's administered, that grace is administered through the church as we preach the word, as we take the elements of uh, uh, communion, as we do baptism. So that salvation, that saving grace belongs only to the people of God. But there's also common grace which refers to the many blessings that God brings to all people apart from salvation. Gifts like the sun. God sends the sun to shine on the good and the evil, right? He doesn't just send the sun to Christians, you know? Uh, Michigan would hope we would have a little more sun, but still, he sends the sun to all of us. He sends rain. He gives us food. He gives us the human mind, which gives us the ability to create a number of things that for the good of humankind. Well, government is one of those gifts of common grace that God bestows on us to restrain evil. Um, and so governments are for our good. You know, Peter said, or rather Paul says that governing authorities are God's servants for our good. And yet, they do not have ultimate authority. They, are, they come from God, these authorities, and they are accountable to God. So not one politician will get away with one lie or one evil deed on the just scales of heaven. But we also learn that you can be totally faithful to God and obey your government. So we can be totally faithful to God and obey the government. You see, our two citizenships, the one in heaven and the one on earth, are not incompatible. In fact, Peter says here that it's for the Lord's sake that we submit to the authorities, which means that loyalty to God sends us in the direction of obeying our rulers, submitting to the authorities. You see, there are some Christians that act and speak as if loyalty to God requires that we resist the government. No, loyalty to God demands that we obey the governing authorities. But obedience to the government is not absolute obedience. If the government, when the government asks us to do something immoral or to disobey God, we cannot obey. There's a great example of this in Acts chapter 4, when the Jewish authorities in uh, Jerusalem were telling the apostles to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And so Peter, who wrote this letter, as well as the apostle John, they say, you judge for yourselves whether it is right in the sight of God that we obey you rather than God. For we cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen and heard. So you say, no, we cannot stop speaking about Jesus because this is a command we have directly from God but short of disobedience to God, Christians submit to the authorities, not because we agree with the authorities, but because God commands it. Number two, for goodness sake, do good. Look at verse 15. Do good. 
Verse 15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So here Peter tells us that this is the will of God. Anytime we hear that something in Scripture is the will of God, we want to pay close attention. Because you hear people say, right, and, and rightly so, like, I want to know God's will for my life. But, but we usually mean by that that we want God to let us in on the future. Right? It's like, God, who do you have for me, Amber or Jessica? It's like, where should I work, Google or Amazon? Where should I go to school, MSU or U of M? That's a no-brainer, you say. But, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's how we start thinking about the will of God. But scripture in general doesn't speak of the will of God in terms of knowing the future. Scripture speaks of the will of God in terms of his past revelation, living according to his word. And here Peter tells us that doing the will of God means doing good. Doing good, which includes, in this context, obeying the governing authorities. And he says that when we do this, we will silence the ignorance of foolish people. Why do they need to be silenced? What are they saying? Well, let me give you an example from chapter 4 of First Peter. You can go there, First Peter 4. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, For the time is past, or for the time that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I'm sure you've experienced perhaps the slander or the ridicule or, or the funny looks that when people look, when, when they look at your lifestyle, they find it odd. They're like, why don't you get drunk with us and sleep around and gossip and use foul language? They, they look at our lives and they're like, you're just kind of odd. And yet Peter says, you used to do those things when you were a slave to the passions of your flesh, the things that we talked about last week, but no longer. Now you're free. Now you have Christ. You see so the strategy that P Peter gives us to silence this kind of talk is not to, to attack people back, but it's rather to do good, which includes obeying the governing authorities, but it's to deeply care for our city, for our nation. God's people are good citizens. We care for the city. We care for the city's institutions, for the city's industry. We care for its people. And so that is the call, and it's completely compatible with our citizenship in heaven. So when you come under attack, Peter is a, um, a big proponent of winning people over without words by our actions. As we are winning the battle within, which we talked about last week, and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, our, our lives will stand out. There is no other way. There are no shortcuts. Don't stop doing good. And lastly, for freedom's sake, live to serve. For freedom's sake, live to serve. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So Peter now says something very empowering. He says, live as people who are free. What does that mean? Because so many people in the Roman world were slaves, up to two-thirds of the population in some cities. So what's he saying? Live as people who are free. Well, he's talking to us about the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have from sin. 
It's an amazing thing. It's going back to last week, is that freedom that we have to say no to the passions of our flesh, which is the part of us that likes sin and responds to it. And yet in Christ, we're able to say no. I mean, do you know how many lives have been ruined because people can't stop drinking, because they can't stop stealing or lying or feeding their lust, or eating, or coveting more and more money, or being bitter, or or making an issue out of everything so that they're petty and they destroy every relationship. On and on we could go. It's such a slavery. And yet to be able to say, you know what? I find myself more tempted in this one area. So I'm going to go after it with the help of God's spirit and with the help of my community around me. I'm going to fast. I'm going to abstain from this thing. I'm going to declare war against it. To be able to save that and then to see progress, to see change, to see the power of that idol be diminished in your life, that's an amazing thing. It's the freedom that we have in Christ. To be able to, to, to get to such a place of victory that you're not even able to recognize it. That's amazing. If you've been walking with God for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about about some things, some areas of your life. Maybe there's others where you're still in the midst of the fight. Don't give up. But it's so wonderful because before, not giving in to that thing took everything and you're like, just to not give in. But then as you grow, it's gonna take effort to give in. Do you see the difference? Because you see, with our temptation, we can always be, often be right here, and the temptation is right here, and we just fall in, we give in so fast. But as we grow, what starts happening is that there is distance. There's distance between us and that temptation, so that it would take so many steps in the wrong direction, so much effort for you to get back there that you're like, it's exhausting to sin, forget it. That's what happens when we walk with Jesus. It's an amazing thing. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And if you've never experienced that kind of victory, I'd invite you to listen to my sermon from last week once again and then enlist the help of friends. It's amazing freedom that he gives us. But not only does he free us from our sin, he also frees us from lies. He frees us to know the truth to be able to receive it and agree with it and see how it makes sense and just get lost in its complexity and its beauty and its power. He frees us to know that we have one master, one alone that we only answer to God and it's so wonderful. I find myself often so grateful for that freedom. And it plays out in a number of ways. So in parenting, if I read an article that says three recent discoveries that will revolutionize your parenting, I go, nope. (laughs) My parenting's already been revolutionized and it was not discovered recently. You know, or when it comes to political matters, right? We hear things like, if we don't act now, our nation will perish. I go, nope. We already know that our nation and every other nation will become a footnote in world history. Or when you hear about a new product or a new service, right, that says, introducing the widget that will finally change your life. I go, nope, my life's already changed. And there's nothing from the outside that can increase my happiness truly. Or when I read about a new scientific theory or a new philosophy or or a new personality uh, profile, I like reading about these things because I love learning. I have an inquisitive mind, but I'm not going to worry about this information. And I'm definitely not going to set my hope in these things. I'm free. 
I've been made free by the blood of the lamb. I have one master and I answer to him alone. And he alone has the power to give rest to my soul and preserve it for all eternity. Amazing freedom indeed. Have you put yourself back into slavery? Has Corona managed to do this for you? Has the election cycle done this for you? Has the social unrest or any other thing that's gone on this year done that for you? Put you back in the fear of slavery so that you're like a toddler who has to hold on to the blankie so tightly and curl up in a ball of fear? Is that you? The righteous are as bold as a lion. Do not subject yourself to a yoke of slavery again on anything. Peter says, live as people who are free. Along with that amazing freedom, he does give us a warning in verse 16. Look at what he says. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's very important. How do we do that? Well, in our nation, in the name of freedom, which is such a big deal for us, we've committed great evils. Reproductive evils, capitalist evils, sexual evils, minority ignoring evils. And at the individual level, we can use our freedom, our so-called freedom, as something that keeps us from ever maturing. So people say things like, well, I'm under grace. I am free in Christ. So I don't have to read the Bible all the time and come to church consistently and give to the mission of God. I don't have to be vigilant about the shows that I watch and the words that I use and my spending habits. I don't have to date a certain way. So our freedom becomes basically our way of not fighting the desires of our flesh. We just give in. You hear people say like, whoa, 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 you Christians, you're taking this whole following Jesus thing way too seriously. I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be a legalistic Christian. I've heard that so many times. What about being a Christ following Christian? How is that? Is that too high a goal? There is no other way. But the Jesus way, we follow after him. We're to become holy as our father in heaven. If you truly have a father in heaven, is holy. So let me leave you with the four exhortations that Peter leaves us with in verse 17. Look at what he says in verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He's addressing our social, ecclesial, spiritual, and civil duties. So let's take those one at a time. Honor everyone. In the next three days or later on this week, you're going to have a great opportunity to put that verse into practice. Honor everyone, Peter tells us. To honor someone means to hold them in high regard. Scripture says, honor your father and mother. Think about that. How do you feel about your father and mother? We honor them. But here Peter says, honor Everyone, honor those Democrats, honor those Republicans. Yes, hold them in high regard. Not because you like their politics, but because you like their maker. You see, you can reject their politics, but you still must honor their person. Because it's of far greater significance that they are made by, in the image of God 
that's so much more important than the fact that you think their politics are misguided. And so what this does, honor everyone, what it's going to do is it's going to help you be a great, great neighbor. If the sign on your neighbor's lawn says Trump pens and you hate that, or it says Biden hairs and you hate that, do this one thing. Bake them some cookies this week. Really, honor everyone. Number two, he says, love the brotherhood. So now Peter tells us to love the church, to love the people of God. So with God's people, we're to do more than respect, more than honor. We're to love them. We're to love them the way that Christ loved us, laying down our lives for them because that's the Jesus way. And this does not mean that we treat well the people that think like us, the people that look like us. No, the church is always to be multi-ethnic, multicultural, which is going to push us beyond the comforts of our middle-class majority culture. Now listen, do you think that the apostles, the 12 apostles, were a homogenous group? Not at all. Do you think that because they were all Jews and Jewish that they all thought alike? Hardly. I mean, take Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. You know, the zealots, by the time that Luke is writing, were a group, a Jewish group that uh, organized themselves and formed a revolt against Rome. So we can safely assume that Simon the Zealot harbors some pretty intense anti-Roman sentiments. That's Simon. And then you take Matthew, the tax collector, who is actually taking taxes from his own people, the Jews, and sending them to Rome. And now these two men, are both being discipled by the rabbi Jesus, the Messiah, who is telling them to love their enemies, to love those who think politically or ideologically different from them, who's telling them to consider others first and themselves last, who's telling them to take the plank out of their own eye first, which takes, how long does that take? The rest of your life. And then you're going to see clearly enough to focus on the speck in your brother's eye. You see how deeply the blood of Jesus runs in your veins will be seen by how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ who voted in the other guy. You see, when it comes to the family of God, we don't just bake cookies. We shower them with love. So love the brotherhood. Number three, fear God. Now, don't you love the nuance in Peter's language here? He's telling us to love, to honor everyone, to love the family of God, the brotherhood, and to fear only God. The reason that we can honor everyone, including people who disagree with us, and we can love the family of believers, even those within it who disagree with us, is because we fear only God. We fear God, God alone, which means that we celebrate. We celebrate his rule. His kingdom, his rule over all creation. We celebrate the fact that God cares about all he has made, all. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all. We celebrate his salvation of our souls. It matters to us and we rejoice over that fact. We celebrate his deep, deep love for us and our family because we hold fast to his son, Jesus Christ. And so for your family this week, you don't just bake cookies. You start thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas and celebrating the fact that 2020 does not change the balance of power in heaven one iota. Fear God and you'll be unshakable. And so celebrate. I mean, has anyone put out their Christmas tree yet? Let me see. Okay, no, not here. It's been a tough year, you know. Celebrate. 
But fear God, when you fear God, we're able to celebrate. Celebrate who our God is. Celebrate that nothing has changed. And nothing will change as far as God is concerned on Tuesday. Finally, honor the emperor. Now, why did Peter single out the emperor? He's already told us to honor everyone, which would include the emperor. So why? Why does he say, honor everyone, and then he says, honor the emperor? Oh, because it's so easy for us to hear honor everyone, but then exclude political figures, especially the head of state, especially if we don't like him. Do you think the Christians in the first century loved, liked the emperor Nero, that debased killer of Christians and hater of the good? No. And yet Peter says, honor him. Not because he's a good person, but because he holds a good office, an office that is a gift from God to you. The emperor is God's servant for your good, and he will give an account to God for his every action, his every word. Listen to me, for all the ills of America and our political system and our politicians, America by God's grace is not Rome, not even close. So honor the president. Among Christians, there should not be, there cannot be any talk of not my president. Amen. Haven't you loved this series in 1 Peter? Are you unshakable yet? Are you an oak or a twig? I mean, we live in royal oak, for goodness sake. Not royal twig. Who would move into royal twig? We're oaks. Are you going to emerge from 2020 more radiant than ever before? Remember what we learned last week, that no one and nothing from the outside has the power to touch our soul to destroy it. At all. Our soul is secure. We could be going through the most devastating events, the most heartbreaking events as many of you have this year, and your soul be free and secure in the love of God. That's what we celebrate. That's the victory that we celebrate as we take the Lord's Supper, the bread, symbolizing the body of the Lord, the cup, symbolizing his blood shed for our sins. This is the victory that we're about to celebrate. So let's prepare our hearts to receive him. God's people are good citizens. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.